0: Welcome to The Pubcast, your inside look at electronic publishing. From ebooks to websites to podcasts and more, join us as we interview the professionals on the cutting edge of publishing. Welcome to The Pubcast. This is Rachel Sparks, and our lovely guest today is Emily Turner, the digital editor from The Improper Bostonian. Hello, Emily. Hello. Good to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, So I want to give everyone a quick background about where you're coming from and how you got to where you are at now. Um, I think it's really interesting for a lot of our listeners, because a lot of us are wanting to enter the publishing industry and not everyone has a straight career path (laughs) to get there. So you started with your undergrad at Northeastern in international affairs and political science, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, I have a very nonlinear path to journalism and kind of a surprising one that I'm even in journalism in 2019 because I sort of had another career going and I, I dropped it to join this very fast paced industry. <laughs> That's wonderful. Why did you change career paths? Did something come up? I think probably most listeners are grad students, but when I when I first started undergrad, I chose international affairs and political science, mostly because the programs were uh, those were the strongest programs at at Northeastern um, in Boston. That's where I went uh, for undergrad and grad. And you know, I had I had sort of thought about journalism when I was eighteen as well, but uh, you know, I I really just wanted to understand the world. I knew I loved to write. I loved to read. Um, And I knew a big part of that was really understanding the world and what was going on. And so that passion really took me to study international affairs and poli-sci. And I was really able to travel quite a bit. Um, in that major, and and I think that set me up really well just in my early twenties, and I ended up graduating and and working in international development, and really loved it, and sort of found myself really loving that environment, especially startup nonprofits. Just that's also a fast-paced environment, but it was specifically when I was working for an organization out of their office in southern Mexico. I was sort of tasked to uh, interview and hear the stories of female coffee farmers. And it was really there and my work during that time where I realized, you know what, I really like telling stories and I think it's a skill and I want to get better at that skill. And so while I love international development and I care about the world and sort of these big issues, my contribution in that space or just in the world in general, I think is going to be through telling stories. And so that's when I really decided I wanted to go back to school and go for my journalism degree. Right after finishing my journalism degree, I actually got a job in journalism, which is kind of surprising um, in this day and age. And that's how I ended up here at The Improper.
0: That's wonderful. That coffee story, that's really inspiring. I think hearing people's stories, is what helps us pass those boundaries and really just understand that the human experience is global and international, and we don't really have to look at these differences that we have and hate each other for it, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, It's. I mean, it's such a fascinating time to be in journalism, too, or to be studying it. You know, I had gotten my degree at night, so I was working full time at Northeastern, and I was able to get my degree for free, which was another huge benefit and and draw because, you know, going into debt for journalism isn't necessarily the like smartest financial move. And so I was aware of that and, you know, wanted to find a way to pursue my passion while not breaking the bank. During that time was really when the Spotlight movie came out, Trump was elected. And, you know, even to this day, you'll just hear news headlines of like another round of layoffs at this big media company. I live my life in a very like realistic way. like, yeah, it's it's great to be in journalism. But like, I'm probably one of the few people who graduated from my program who actually work in journalism today. Most of them ended up at PR firms or communications work. It's tough. It's it's really hard out there. But I, I, you know, I truly like believe in this work and somehow found a way. Oh, that's wonderful.
0: I'm so happy to hear that for you. Yeah. Especially like, there is so much change happening right now. And With change, of course, comes added tensions, especially in diversity of voices. I'm really excited to see so much happening. Like our industry really is striving to make those changes. And unfortunately, publishing is a very slow changing industry, because you're usually planning a year to three years in advance, depending upon the type of project that you're working on. So in that time, you know, Trump's been in office for two years, and a lot has changed since then. So if you were planning a project two years before that, you're already behind the time. (laughs) I know, right? I'm wondering how hard it is for you and your role to help encourage those voices to come out, whether it be through the writers that you guys publish or the people that you interview. How challenging is that?
1: Making sure that we have a diverse set of voices in our publication is... I really think we talk about it almost every day. The criticism is widespread and it's certainly hit the improper as well, but we, you know, I've been in plenty of conversations where we make sure that we are, you know, have we done our research? Have we made sure that we are like we cover a lot of like new things, new openings, Um, we, every year we have our Boston's best awards. And so we always talk about making sure that we're getting a diverse set of voices and diverse coverage, especially in Boston. You know, like I'm not originally from Boston. I'm originally from Vermont, which is even more white, but my mom is Filipino. So I sort of have this like half, half view. I've never felt like I've belonged to either side, but I've felt the benefit of, of seeing both Boston is very white. And it can be very white with certain publications. And depending on what you read and who you follow, it's, it, it's very segregated. You know, for me personally, and I know here at the publication, like we all on the editorial team, you know, have that of mind and make sure we want to sort of represent all, all voices
0: because Boston is still pretty white and a lot of money is held in mostly white hands if there's any reader pushback when you do introduce diverse voices that don't necessarily represent the readers
1: so i manage all the social and all digital things like i'm the only person that does that so i see i see every comment i see every dm you know i hear things i have seen some pushback but like It is really interesting in terms of our readership, like we've been around for almost 30 years. And it was a very different magazine. then. I think the like readership perception of geared towards the wealthier set, I think that's probably partially true. But at least from the analytics that I see on the social media side and from Google Analytics, I'm seeing a lot of young female readers and a lot of our physical news boxes are on college campuses. In terms of like our engagement, I, I find it's actually it gears more towards the younger set, maybe not college age, but like 25 to 34. Yeah, it is. It is interesting in terms of their economic standing. I don't know if I could say with confidence, whether it leans one way or the other.
0: The social is actually how I originally got into the Improper Bostonian. The Friday emails that come out about what's
1: happening in Boston on the weekends, like, that's all I need. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I started that actually, um, what was it, last July? I started that Things to Do This Weekend newsletter because I was sort of kicking it around and my editor and I were chatting about it and it was like, you know what, we have the back half of the magazine is all dedicated to events. It's like manually intensive for me to put all the, inve- all the events up online. Um, so I always make sure to put up the featured events uh, and then I like curate some other events that I come across. Out of that, the newsletter was born in terms of like, you know what, people want to know what's going on on the weekend. I think there's a market for it, and I don't see a ton of other places. Doing it. I mean, I know there are some, but because we already do this coverage in print, there's a way to engage with our readers through newsletters. I
0: had no idea you created that. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm the first digital hire here, which is part of the reason why I took the job, um, just because it's so dynamic. Imagine being hired as the first digital (laughs) person for a magazine. I was hired two years ago, so like 2017. It was both like terrifying and exciting at the same time because there's so many things, right? Like you can create more newsletters and I have a I have a couple more that I want to create that I'm sort of like I was actually working on them this morning. But there's a list of a dozen other things where I'm like, Oh, this would be cool. Like the improper brand in Boston is so strong and people have such a strong affiliation with it. And it's such a positive feeling too, that I just, you know, want to be able to get the magazine and, and what we publish in, in people's feeds and, and social media in an easier way than just, you know, picking it up in print. But I also think that like there is something still really fun about being able to pick up a magazine and flip the pages.
0: Oh, definitely. So do you think you will ever expand the digital side, like as far as like team and help? Because I feel like it might get overwhelming to be the only person after a while. Yeah,
1: yeah, it is. It's so it's lonely sometimes and it's always overwhelming. <laughs> so real talk. Yeah, it's never a dull moment. In terms of expanding the team, yeah, I would I would love to. I think part of my, my work and part of my days are spent helping figure out how the magazine can earn more money right because we're such a we don't we don't have a big team here it's it's not a ton of people i'm the first and only digital hire right now i have one intern every semester i you know i want more staff but we also need the money for that right and so that means more advertisers and more digital advertising and it's slowly starting to pick up so i've got some sponsored content running i've got some sponsored social media posts And it's just starting to pick up more, but it's a lot of work. And the sales team is mostly focused on print, although they're starting to do more digital sales, but it's all a money issue, right? Can't hire more people until we we make more money. I think we know that even the largest media companies are struggling with that now.
0: (laughs) There's so much with digital that the social media aspect, I think we're all pretty familiar with how to work that, but has there been any task as a digital editor that you haven't really known how to complete because maybe you didn't have any training in that just because you came from a background that didn't really offer them
1: you know what not really I think so you know I worked on as part of like communications and marketing teams prior to and during my journalism program, it was really my grad school classes at night that solidified the difference between the two and and making sure that facts matter and as we you know as if you're like an uh, aware citizen today, uh, you should know that facts matter and the the jobs that journalists do and editors do it's definitely a skill. And so I think for me to sort of get into that mindset when I started working here, it definitely, you know, it was a bit of a learning curve, but this was like why I went into journalism and, and wanted to pursue. And, and so I, I don't think I, I had any problems or, you know, felt that I wasn't, I didn't have the qualifications for it, but it's definitely, it was definitely something that I was sort of excited about. Um, and I, I felt ready for Uh, and ready to tackle. I think the the editing process is pretty thorough. And, and, you know, the other editors here, we have a really thorough process in terms of like fact checking, you know, nothing gets published without getting fact checked in multiple rounds of edits. It's a pretty thorough process, probably more so on the print side, um, because it's just me on the digital side. But I think uh, it's been it's been good. You sound very happy at your job. I love to hear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely. Well, you know, it's I'm I'm two years in, right? Like, I I haven't been here as long as you know some other people, but I'm also working in a position that I sought out after having experienced. You know, I've worked like four or five other jobs since undergrad, and you know that that alone. You know, especially probably for your listeners, it's like. Every job teaches you something whether it's amazing or whether it's awful and the awful jobs teach you more. So, you know, I've had a couple of those. It's really been those tough experiences which is which they they have forced me to figure out what I do want to do, what I what I think I'm good at and what I think the market has a need for. If I had my preference, I would totally just like interview people, write their story, you know, get really good at storytelling maybe do it on like some digital aspect to it. If I could just do that all day, I would totally do it. I'm also pretty good at the social media stuff. And I manage the website on WordPress, which is fun too. And like, you know, and also the analytics, like these are all elements that, you know, I think I have skills in and that interest me. But in terms of like what I'm most passionate about, it's, you know, it's just writing.
0: Do you see yourself staying where you're at
1: for a while? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm still learning quite a bit every day. I think part of being a digital editor is just like, I mean, I don't know any, I don't know other digital editors, but you know, part of being in the position that I'm in is it's a lot of problem solving, and I've done that in a lot of other positions too. And I imagine, you know, anybody who's worked in social media would say the same. It's like it's a lot of problem solving. These jobs didn't exist like ten years ago. They didn't exist, you know, a lot of them didn't exist five years ago. You've got a lot of high level people looking to you to say, well what do we do? Oftentimes it's like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Let me go figure it out. You sort of have to get used to that and almost like get good at figuring stuff out. So I definitely I like that kind of work and that's what I do a lot of here. Just being able to Find interesting stories. I think that's another part of why you know I just I really enjoy this position that I'm in. I can sort of both work on the digital side in terms of newsletters and social and web, uh, but then I also write too. So uh, you know my latest story, I interviewed a, a professional organizer, and I sort of thought of reaching out to her. You know, one because we gave her a Boston's Best Award last year. If you've seen the Netflix show or read Marie Kondo's book about tidying up it's sort of all the craze and i thought oh like i want to go talk to somebody who actually does this for a living who's not Marie Kondo and uh like what is it really like and so i followed her around one morning just got a feel for what it takes to to be a professional organizer and it's definitely a lot more work <laughs> than than one might think but um yeah i love that aspect of it too
0: It sounds like in that particular opportunity, you
1: got to source out
0: this person that you wanted to talk to and probably propose the idea to the magazine that you wanted to do this. Is that typical for you? Or do you sometimes, are you assigned a project or an interview or something like that? How does that
1: Let's see. Sometimes I've been assigned a project, but most of the time it's just me pitching a story. I think the sort of the secondary aspect of my work is definitely writing. It comes when I can do it and I have time to do it (laughs) or I find, you know, a story that I want to cover, but then other times I'll be assigned something um, and that's totally fine too. I mean, I'm happy to write either way. It's a lot of freedom and I don't know if that's like typical for most positions, but in this specific position, it's a lot of, a lot of freedom, which I like.
0: Especially in a new budding industry with the digital platforms. I think a lot of people are experiencing that freedom right now. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Nowhere to go but up. You're definitely leading changes in that regard. Like what you're doing now is setting the expectation for every person following you, so that's very exciting. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's definitely exciting and like realistically it's exciting and and you know, like I said it's it's super daunting because you know, one day you're like, wow, I'm doing so much and this didn't exist before, and that's amazing. I feel really accomplished. And then other days, it's it's like you're hardly moving the needle because you're just one person. Yeah, it's definitely balancing those two emotions all the time. <laughs>
0: So I noticed on your social media, it's, by the way, very well developed for you personally. And Oh, thanks. But it's probably the last thing you want to do after doing that all day at work.
1: It really is. This is exactly what I said. I was like, honestly, if I could devote the time I do at work to my personal social media, I'd be like a goddamn influencer. Like, (laughs) because I think about this stuff so much and in so much depth. And like, I have these calendars set up and strategies and like, I have doubled our, like the Improper's Instagram account since I got here. And I'm super proud of that. And like, I have this whole plan and, and I think like, Oh my God. And I haven't posted to my personal Instagram. <laughs> I think I've posted like four times <laughs> because it's true. You get home and like, this is not like a nine to five. Like I work, I work a lot, especially when you manage a social media account. You're sort of working all the time in a way. So yeah, I totally get home and I'm like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't want to look at a screen anymore. I just need I need a break. It's totally it's totally my goal to sort of get my my personal brand uh, back out there. I have a really interesting relationship with social media because I I've worked in it. Uh, in past jobs as well. And, you know, I have my own opinions and I I read the latest. Um, I sort of have this love hate feeling with it that like, I want to engage, I want to participate. I work in media, it makes a lot of sense. And then on the other side, I'm like, well, you know, there's a lot of breach of privacy issues. And I don't agree with how uh, Facebook has has made a lot of changes. I left it completely. And then what I have now is like a business account that I, I don't even post to. I just use it to manage uh, the improper stuff. I sort of have this daily struggle of like, how much do I post? What do I post? Um, I have a one-year-old now and I sort of struggle to be like, ah, should I be posting his face to Instagram? I don't know. Like, he should be, you know, he should have a say in that. So I definitely have this, I know too much feeling about social media and like my own personal approach to it. But then I also know how powerful it is.
0: Great stuff. No, you said some really great things. Because I think sometimes the challenge is, you you know how powerful it is. And so you want to leverage that. But you also wonder how much should be said, because sometimes you're a opinion won't necessarily align with the company opinion that you might want to apply to in
1: five, 10 years from now. And <laughs> I just have to do it because I know like how important it is. And even looking at the improper Google analytics, you know, a lot of our web traffic is coming from social. Like this is how people find us. They're not just going to go they're not just going to go to Google and be like, hmm, let's go to improper.com. Um, no, they're going to see a Facebook post. They're going to see a tweet. And that's how they're going to get to our website. Sort of knowing that it is it, that alone is just an argument, especially if you work in media, especially if you're a journalist, like you got to sort of be out there and tweet your own stuff, but also, you know, the stuff you, you should be reading and keeping up with, um, sharing that as well and sort of having an opinion behind it
0: if a company or a future employer is looking at your Twitter feed and you're talking about feminism and they don't agree with what you said, well, maybe that's probably not the company you want to work for anyway. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Something I worry about is it's so hard to be an expert in one thing, but you kind of want that. So you're marketable, but then there's like the jack of all trades and master of none where you kind of want your hand in all the honeypots. So you are even more marketable. So it's hard to, balance that. And then you. I kind of worry about pigeonholing myself into one industry or just one little niche of that industry based on what I might present on social media. And I wonder how that would affect future employment opportunities.
1: I know. This is honestly, this is a struggle. I thought about this a lot too when I was in your position. I sort of banked on social media as my like cornerstone because I was super afraid of going into journalism, (laughs) because I was like, you know, basically like, I'm going to go study journalism. And all I read is how nobody gets paid anything and how they're all getting laid off. So I like legit had a job security get good at social media, because that's not going anywhere. Um, And that has huge overlap with journalism. You know, I sort of, I remember pretty vividly, like, During journalism school, I don't know if they had us do it in class, but like, you know, I wrote down the skills that I wanted to have. Um, I mean, something that I've always sort of carried with me, even during undergrad, is I constantly look at job descriptions, not because I'm looking for a job, but because I want to know what employers are looking for. So in five years, if they're like, oh, you need to know how to code I think that's something I should probably learn um, that's not what I'm seeing um, but they are saying like you need to have some experience and knowledge of social media you know some of these things are sort of they're just, it's like a crap it's a crap shoot right like you sort of guess what what you, the market is gonna need mixed with what you can find yourself doing every day day in and day out it's I mean even when I was an undergrad you know, our professors were like, Oh, you know, jobs will exist that aren't even created yet for you. And that's a daunting thing. And it's very true. I mean, even, even in journalism, and even in media, you don't know what jobs are going to be out there in five years, because the technology is changing so quickly, and the industry is changing so quickly. So yeah, it's, it's very scary. But I, I do think sort of being the jack of all trades isn't a bad idea getting experience and and exposure to all these different things, mostly because it's like, you also want to figure out what you like and what you don't like. That's probably the more powerful thing. It's like all these jobs I've had, I've sort of, I could look, look back and be like, okay, in that job, I figured out uh, that I don't like this. (laughs) In this job, I figured out that I don't like that. And sort of, you know, through time and experience, hopefully you get to a point where, where you find yourself in a position or maybe it's multiple positions where you've built a, a life and a career or careers that that make you happy and can sustain you. It doesn't come quick, and it it's totally like you got to put in the work for it. Actually, putting in the work for it. There's no way that you could be disappointed in yourself. Like I'm tired, right? But like I'm I'm really happy that I've worked so hard to figure out that I wanted to be in this industry because if I hadn't made any moves, I would still probably be fundraising for a nonprofit. And I figured out that I didn't really want to work in fundraising. And that took a lot of time, a lot more than people think to actually figure out what it is that you don't want, and then therefore figure out what you do want, and then actually take actions to get to that point. like That I mean, I could easily say that that took me years. So it's not a fast thing and it takes a lot of work, but at the end of it, you got to be able to go home every day and be like, is this the life that I want to be living? Did you have some kind of say in it or did you just wind up here?
0: So taking it back to the digital publishing world, what kind of things are happening in the industry? Anything that you think has really revolutionized the way people are interacting with the publishing industry. A lot of magazines are going
1: digital only, which is... Oh, yeah. This is a big question. I mean, Glamour, cutting their, their print, it's all because of costs. And nobody has really necessarily figured out how to make a highly profitable publishing company. Well, I don't want to say nobody. I just I just mean in the sense that like I think that journalism should always remain independent, but because of that there has always been this struggle, this push and pull of like having enough money to run a company. And it is a company at the end of the day, <clears throat> whether it's digital or print. I think what I find fascinating or what I have found fascinating is like some of the successful publications I read, like New York Times is owned by a family. The improper Bostonian is owned by a family. Will it take these families or these wealthy individuals like Jeff Bezos and the Washpo uh, who will carry on this belief in journalism and enable these publications to keep running. That's that's the only thing I've sort of seen right now in terms of how they have continued to succeed in this digital age. And, you know, at the same time, I'm also like a huge fan of Vice in terms of the dynamic content that they put out. Like I watch Vice News Tonight almost every night. And they're this like huge media company who like obviously don't pay their women and don't pay their staff (laughs) and have come under scrutiny. And I think our... Settling a lawsuit right now, but they—they're huge, and they have found new ways to new revenue streams. Basically, I think the—I think all of these publications are trying to find new revenue streams, including Glamour um, on the digital side. You know, this has been a long, you know, not surprising process of how we as readers—I uh, w- wouldn't even say readers anymore just we as people consume the news or consume stories. And I think that has shifted to reading fewer words and experiencing it through audio or video. I think that's sort of the direction we're we're already there. But I just see that sort of being more prominent with these with these media companies.
0: Is that like podcasting and the videos and Whatnot not? Is that something you would like to do at the improper at some
1: point? Oh my God. Yes. I tried. I tried. wait last year we, um, we did sort of the future of Boston and we interviewed some people across industries, and I was like, "Oh, like let's take some audio." And I had the equipment, and I published it, and it was it was awful. Like I just like published the full thing, and it was like an hour conversation that nobody wants to listen to because I don't know how to edit, <laughs> you know. Like I think I edited in like a uh, like intro song, <laughs> um, but you know, I. I have limited knowledge, right? And so like, this is where specific skill sets come in handy. Um, And, you know, personally, I would, I would love to do that. I would, you know, I think podcasts are great. I'm a huge listener of podcasts, video, even more compelling. Telling a story visually is, is really powerful. I mean, as we've seen, you know, like we've seen some pretty powerful documentaries come out in recent weeks and months, like, I'm thinking specifically of R. Kelly and Michael Jackson. And like, that's powerful stuff. Like, I think journalism has the power to change the public and policies and, you know, certain aspects of, of our current events and history. But then we're also sort of seeing that happen through these documentaries as well.
0: I definitely agree with that. I think what is being done with documentaries now, people are realizing that that's a major form of consumption for viewers and they're using it well.
1: Yeah, and you know, I, I I wanna I wanna say and I wanna hope that readers and viewers and listeners are also becoming more educated. I think with social media and just like this democratization of formation, like we can all sort of get all the information that I want to say that you can't necessarily get away with fake information anymore. You know, I know the counter argument is like, oh, these, this is a documentary. It's partisan. It's not journalism. And it's it's not journalism. But it does sort of provide interesting stories from people who have their own accounts. And I think it, it creates uh, just sort of, I, I don't know, I think it's just this interesting space that we're all in now in terms of figuring out what the truth is.
0: Definitely. So final question, we've talked so much about the industry and just your path and social media, and I really love everything that you've said, but is there
1: anything we have not talked about that you
0: wish we had?
1: Oh, that is the best last question. That's my favorite <laughs> last question of interviews, because you always get something good from the person you're, you're interviewing. I mean, not maybe not from me, because I can't think of anything right now, <laughs> but... <laughs> That's probably the one thing that I want to add is that's a great last interview question. I guess thinking in terms of your audience being other grad school students, journalism students and their interest and concern and hopes and dreams of working <laughs> in journalism and getting a sense of what it's like. I I want to say I guess I want to end on a note of like hope and aspiration and like there is still there's like a real place for journalism in 2019 and beyond. And I think it's just a really fascinating time. Like, I'm as much a, a person who like works in the industry as like reading everything about the industry. I think what I really like about this job and and just working in journalism is like, you're just surrounded by really smart people who really like to know what's going on and who really want to understand the truth. And I think that's really special and really unique today um, more than ever <laughs> with our uh, you know current uh, administration and, and the way that the internet is shaping our understanding of the world. It's definitely a fun place to be, It's also very challenging financially. <laughs> um, and I don't have a, an easy answer to that. I'm still trying to figure it out myself. Uh, so if you have any ideas, please tweet me. Um, <laughs> I, I have to believe that there's a way that I can figure out how to stay in this industry because a lot of people do it. And I think it is up to us being like the next gen of people contributing to, to this, that, you know, we can, we can learn how to tell good stories and we can figure out a way that we can keep doing it.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Emily. Yeah, no problem, Rachel. This was fun. And to our listeners, please support Emily's hard work as the digital editor for the improper Bostonian. And thanks for listening. This has been The Pubcast. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback by visiting us on the web at www.thepubcast.org.